I have a I have a straight short roof that's sixty one feet wide. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Halfway There cast with Tyler and Eric. We are halfway there, and Eric, I have put in a lot of windshield time the last few days. Yes, you have. You've traveled halfway across the country. And back. And back, yep. (laughs) Yep. Went out to see my son in Oklahoma. Never been to Oklahoma. A lot of big casinos out there. Is there a lot of, uh, what's it called? Like reservations out there. Well, interesting. As soon as you drive into Oklahoma, it says you're now entering the Cherokee Nation. Oh, okay. And then immediately on the right is a giant casino called the Cherokee. Huge. So it's not just a clever name. Not just a clever name. <laughs> well, good. Yeah. And you got to got to see your son graduate out there and it was really Becoming an upstanding young man and doing a lot of stuff to make a, to make a family proud, I, I'm sure. Well, we hope so. We hope that's, yeah. that's where it goes. <laughs> but Eric, how are you doing today, brother? Well, I'm, I'm trying to navigate this uh, daylight savings time thing. And last night was the night that you're supposed to catch up on your hour of sleep from like last spring. But... <laughs> Here's what happens to me. I'm the kind of person, like, I, I'll do it early, go throughout the house on Saturday, set the clocks back. But the extra hour doesn't matter to me because I always just stay up later anyway. So, like, I never benefit from it. Well, this was the first year that I benefited because I had drove so much and I was so tired. And just getting that extra hour this morning was helpful. But generally, I'm the obsessive person that tries to catch his iPhone changing time. Just out of fear that it's not going to happen. <laughs> yes. So what I do to combat that is I set an old digital clock that you just plug in that, you know, it's like eh, eh, one of those. Mm-hmm. I set that and then I set two different alarms on my iPhone. So that way I'm going to wake up one way or the other. Well, I'm sure everyone in the house loves all that going on. in the morning. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow but here we are here we are happy we daylight are. savings time everybody. happy daylight savings time everyone fall back an hour yeah. Sp- spring forward is the worst that is the worst yeah you lose an well hour see a, a lot of people don't like this one because it gets like it's dark at like five something now or around six doesn't, doesn't bother, bother me doesn't me yeah. either not a bit just yeah. crawl into my cave and be happy there you go there, there you we go. go well some more big news, big listener week. Got a got a new people group listening now. Yes, the uh, Malaysians from Malaysia. Yeah, they speak Malayan. I don't know how they found the halfway there cast or listened to us or. Yeah, since but, they've been listening, though, our numbers have really shot up. Salute, Malaysia. Uh, salute. And, and yeah, they're king. They have a king. What's his name? I already forgot. Garth. King Garth <laughs> Abdullah. We should have looked up some Malaysian speech and we could have said hello in their native yep. tongue. But yeah. Yeah. Next time. Next time. Well, 
that we'll we'll open the show with that next time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Four good topics tonight. First thing, I think there's going to be some controversy, maybe with some of our listeners. We seem to have a little bit of controversy every week now, but I guess that's that's okay. We posed a question. When is it okay to put up a Christmas tree? Now, I've not talked to you specifically about this, so I'm I'm kind of I'm not 100% sure what you're going to say. Well, I know you. Uh-huh. You are a traditionalist. Yes. Are you an after Thanksgiving kind of guy? Here's what happened. Uh-oh. I I grew up like that. I uh, grew up you have your Thanksgiving and then the day after Thanksgiving on Friday you put up the Christmas tree. Yeah. My family now they like like they would probably put it up in September if if I would give into it. They they are really excited. So over time I have shifted and like I don't have my tree up right now. But that's just because I've not had the time. Like I would have it up right now oh. if I'd had the time to get it up. Huh. Speechless, aren't you? I am. I'm a strict after Thanksgiving, day after Thanksgiving, <laughs> Christmas. I I love Thanksgiving. It's a thankful holiday. I don't want to skip yeah. it. I don't want to skip over it. I want I want to enjoy the turkey. Yeah. I want to enjoy the the pumpkin pie. Mm-hmm. I don't care nothing about stuffing or things like that, but I want to enjoy the season of Thanksgiving. How long does that season last for you? Like, do you like do you start having meals before Thursday, or or what do you do? Just just Thursday? I'm a, just a Thursday guy. Well, well, here's well we'll have a church meal. We'll have a church meal the Saturday before. Okay. And then we have our family Thanksgiving on Thursday and everybody comes to my house. And that's also why we won't put up a tree because there'll be a lot of people here. Yeah. And I don't need to tear down my tree. Uh, so when we were younger, we did have our turkey bowls, but I remember I thought you didn't really care too much about Thanksgiving back in the day because you would go to Florida like every year for for yeah, football. Football, yeah. Like you were gone all the time. Coach Little League football, yes. Every Thanksgiving. Yeah, well, I got married, and my wife likes Thanksgiving, and my theology changed, and I realized that I'm going to go ahead and say this. I think Thanksgiving is the most Christian holiday. Oh, okay. Because we are to be thankful. Yes. And, you know, I just think that's a Christian virtue, and we should celebrate it. And furthermore, when Christmas is over, it's time to take down your tree. I I agree with that. Okay. I agree with that. So now, I, I grew up in a home with my father where it could be April and we still have a Christmas tree up. It could be July and it could be stuck over there in the corner. You know, it wasn't, a, <laughs> it wasn't something we really paid much attention to. <laughs> did you all put up lights outside and maybe oh, no. tar- turn them on? Like, no, in I did I did that one year here at the house, put lights outside, and I just realized this is this is incredibly too much work to be dilly dallying with this stuff. Well, that's big business now. What I've yeah. seen the last year or so, people will pay them and they'll come in and put it up for you. I saw a quote today: packages starting at like six hundred and fifty dollars <laughs> for wow. people to come in and do that. So I'm I, I'm not to that point. We need. To I have a I have a straight, short roof. 
that's 61 feet wide. <laughs> and so I bought a string of lights that was 60 feet wide, 60 feet long and put up that string right there is what I do. That's it. That's all you do, huh? Well, I mean, a few more little things, but as far oh. as the lights, yeah, we, we haven't, we have a nativity thing out there. How, but many, yeah, so, how many wise men are in your nativity? Oh, of three, of course. <laughs> Actually, well, actually, I don't know if there is a wise man in, in that one. I think it's strictly Mary, okay, Joseph, and Jesus. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, we do we do a lot of things in the house. The only thing we put outside. Good friend of mine, listener, church member, made us a Christmas tree out of a pallet, and we put lights on it and put it in the front yard. Sounds good. Yeah, but that's uh, that's all we do. And but now that that takes me to another point. And maybe I'm illogical. I don't know. Christmas music. All right. And should you start listening and playing Christmas music? So 94.5 Mixmas starts on November 1st every year. So that is when I start listening to it. Okay. And yep. I don't love Christmas music particularly, but I will say this. Churches should sing joy to the world year year round. I'll take a hard stance on that. Yeah, that that would be appropriate. I think it would be think it'd make people uncomfortable. It does sometimes when I we do <laughs> gets a good gets a good laugh out of everybody. <laughs> well, you sing it in July, like Christmas in yeah, July, kind of a thing. Well, I mean, no, we've just randomly. I'll have a sermon that kind of will that'll flow into the sermon pretty good, and I'll say tell my song leader. Let's do joy to the world. He'll give a little chuckle and then he'll announce it and everybody give a little chuckle. They know why, (laughs) because I requested it. (laughs) Oh yeah. But I, yeah, you, you have a lot of good points there, but I, (laughs) you have Christmas season from November 1st through the end of December and right in the middle kind of, you know, you have Thanksgiving, you kind of, kind of like a halftime. I think you should have Thanksgiving season. And have Christmas be the post-game celebration. Well, how do you celebrate Thanksgiving without eating like a horse, though? Well, you do eat like a horse. You're thankful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I, I would weigh 600 pounds if I celebrated like like that. I mean, I I, I am thankful every day of my life. So you don't need need a specific day to be thankful because you're always thankful. I'm always thankful, but I'm thankful for god's bounty and his provision especially on thanksgiving and and then the only thing better than thanksgiving food is is the leftovers for the next like seven days <laughs> yeah yeah it is yeah. a good eating time that's yeah. for sure what well, let's just let's just dive into this a little deeper okay what why when did stores it's like stores are now putting out stuff for christmas like in the first of October. Yeah. It's like we quit caring about any holiday, any time. We just want to get to the next one just as fast as possible. Yeah. Yeah. The, and, and the dollar store, which by the way, do you call the dollar store, the dollar store or the dollar general? <laughs> I, I call them all the dollar store. Okay. Cause none so, of them are actually called the dollar store, but I call them the dollar store. I always so, have. I call the Dollar General the dollar store. I call the Family yes. Dollar the dollar store. Okay. I call the what's the one that is just a dollar? Well, My, it's a dollar dollar twenty five now. 
the mighty dollar. I call it the dollar store. Okay. So if I say, Hey, I'm going to the dollar store, there's about five to 10. You could be going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, you don't really know where I'm going to go. <laughs> well, that's, that's good. I've, I, I didn't realize that. I, I was with my daughter one night and I said something about the dollar store. She didn't know what I was talking about because she'd never seen the dollar store. And I'm like, you know, the dollar store. And I explained where it was and she just always noticed it said dollar general, which mm-hmm. it does. Yeah. But that's not what you call it. You call it the dollar store. Those things are everywhere too. Dollar. They dollars. are. They are. Everywhere. But yeah, yeah, you're you're right. They they get the Christmas stuff going. I went to Walmart the other day for something. They their Christmas section was in full full go. I mean, it was everything. I went into Lowe's. I went into Lowe's the other day, and you had a you had a a ghoul and a ghost scaring Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> they had it all out. Well. It's 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 that time of year where things just kind of kind of cross like that. Yeah, yeah. it's it, it's kind of I I don't know. It, it's gotten kind of ridiculous. It, it's so commercialized. Yeah, but I I do enjoy it. It's just, it's fun time. I, I like I like the Grinch. Well, actually, before yeah. I came over here, you know what I was watching? Elf. Elf was on TV. Elf is one of our family favorites. That's one of the best movies of all time. You know what's not commercialized? What's that? Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's pure. It's it, pure. Well, I guess so. Yeah, so you, you have a point there. Now, I'm not knocking the Thanksgiving. I, I, I'm thankful for Thanksgiving, but when November rolls around, it's, you know, the, the thing where you see Mariah Carey de- defrosting and the music's coming <laughs> and stuff like, like, like I'm ready for all of it. There we go. All right. Well, we can agree to disagree on that then. Didn't uh, you, by the way, I had a memory here. Didn't you, was it you that had like a Grinch Christmas tree or something one year? Yeah, we, we do. I don't think my wife lets me do it anymore, but I went to Walmart once during Christmas. I think we were Christmas shopping and it's when they sold those big giant Grinch heads. And yeah. uh, as a joke, I just threw it in the cart and I never took it out and bought it. And so I got home and just put it on top of the Christmas tree. So I think <laughs> and I she, that. she let you keep it on there. Yeah. I think we went for it for a couple of years and then she's like, you got to get rid of that. Um, <laughs> so it was fun. We had a fun few years with it and spend it spilling super glue in it. And it stinks like super glue every time you put it on. Now. <laughs> Not fun. That, that sounds like there's a good story behind that, that. Well, that was a bad decision that I made. We went into Walmart and of course the big Grinch head was there in a, like one of those metal crates, you know what I'm talking about? Metal holders that they have at Walmart that they like just throw. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is it a big head like a Lee Corso college yeah, game day yeah, head thing? Yeah. Okay. And I grabbed it and my reaction was just to put it on my head. Yeah. That was a horrible idea. I mean, who knows what heads that had been on? Probably a lot of different yeah. heads. Yeah. Yep. So anyways. All right. Well, so this podcast will come out a few days after election day, but we are so thoughtful and prepared in life that we want to talk about how Christians should vote. Yes. After election day. So when you vote in 2024, keep this in mind, please. Uh, So (laughs) we do want to wrestle with question that question. It is something that I think a lot of Christians think about especially in polarizing days that we live in where sometimes it just doesn't seem like there is a good candidate at all to vote for as a Christian. So 
a lot of Christians battle with this. It's an ethical question almost, but how should a Christian vote? I have preached a sermon on this before, I, I think maybe during the last presidential election, and I we preach from Romans chapter 13 and just start it with having an understanding of what the purpose of government is. So let me just read. Let me read this here and talk for just a moment about okay. what what government's supposed to be and then kind of take it from there. So Romans 13, beginning in verse one, says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So there's step one there, submit to the government. Number two, understand that it's only the people that are in charge are only there because God has put them in charge. Verse two says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. And then verse four, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So several things in that. God has appointed government for us. To not submit to government is like not submitting to God himself because God has put them in place. And then the purpose of government, if you picked up on that, was number one, to punish what is bad, punish what is evil. And number two, reward what is good. So that's basically what government's supposed to do. Kind of hold back evil by punishing it and then reward what is good. So that's the Christian view of what government should be. Now we got to look and say, well, which candidate best represents that? Yeah. So it's it's a little more than just... Mm picking a party and voting a party, right? Yeah. I mean, certainly in our day that we live in today, a party distinguishes good and evil a little more clear, I guess you could say, with certain issues than before. And so we, we can think along those lines, and that helps a little bit. But also in our day, somewhat of that line is blurred on fitting that criteria in, in the book of Romans. Yeah. When when I vote for a candidate, the way I, I've tried to do it in more recent history is, I mean, you know, th- things are important like the economy and military spending and the deficit and all that. All that's very important to talk about. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to it, the make or break line for me are the social issues, meaning the issues that either line up with or go directly against what scripture has said. So you can kind of gauge where the candidate is biblically by looking at where they stand on social issues, such as marriage and abortion and, and uh, things like that, those kinds of, of, of issues that'll tell you a lot, whether or not they line up with wanting to, punish evil and reward good or not. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and almost now 
I kind of make a hard line to those two things that you mentioned to see what they think about marriage and the family and see what they think about abortion. And I'll almost as, as much as you could tell, and that, that's kind of the hard thing now, I think is you can't really tell what anybody thinks about anything. Yeah. And then if they say something, once they get in office, they'll back off on it or right. approach it from a, from a different point or something like that. Right. So yeah, it is hard. Yeah. And so I think as Christians, we have to look at those biblical values and then align ourselves the best way possible with those that meet those biblical values. And even in our, our last or two president, when, when Trump was elected president, there were many things that he said, but then didn't really meet those certain things he said. And so that's a tricky thing that we have to think through and think about. But I, I think the answer actually is we need more solid biblical Christians to run for offices is what we need. Yeah. I feel like the political landscape has been somewhere that Christians have stayed away from. And we need more Christian men to step into those positions and put themselves out there to, to, to ha- hold political offices. Yeah. And uh, was it just this past week that we got a new speaker of the house and what's yeah. his name? Mike. Is it Mike Johnson? I think so. Yeah, I think so. And he's Christian mm-hmm. and uh, even Southern Baptist. Yeah. Yeah. And pretty unashamed of it, too. Seemed like. Yeah. Just in some of the things he said. Now, I don't I don't know that much about him, but it is. It seems like he's pretty unabashed, unabashed Christian and open about that, convictionally open about that, which is good. And that's exactly what we need. Yeah. But then you have some people that'll just run on that platform of Christian and they're no more Christian than the shoe in my closet. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? Then it's, so it's just, it's hard waters to, to walk through. And the best thing we can do is just make ourselves as informed as possible and to be rooted and grounded in scripture ourselves. So we can, I mean, Romans twelve two says we're renewing our mind and that's how we can discern what is the will yeah. of God, what is good and what is perfect. So we, we've got to root ourselves in scripture so that then we can discern better wisdom, those that are truly running on Christian values and those that are not. Yeah. And one help for us in trying to approach a decision is you can actually look at the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, for example, they both have what they call platforms. So this is. Uh, you can get on their website and look and basically what they're saying. And, and they update these, I think, every four years around the presidential cycle. But they'll put forth a platform and the platform will be the things that that particular party cares about and wants to do and wants to accomplish as a whole. So that's a description of of that party. Now, John MacArthur, the last pres- presidential cycle, he made some. I guess we could say controversial comments uh, about that because he, what he did is he looked at the Democrat national platform and called them, if I remember correctly, a, a Romans one party, just where they're going so blatantly against God. And, and I look, he actually made this statement. He said, there's no way a Christian can affirm the slaughter of babies, 
homosexual activity, homosexual marriage, or any kind of gross immorality. And he said, really, these aren't even political issues. These are biblical issues. Right. And, and he was talking about how it is impossible for a professing Christian to vote Democrat because their platform actually promotes these things. And I just went and looked at it before we started recording and, and it absolutely does. Those are the things that it promotes. So, so again, what's the purpose of government? It's to punish evil and reward good. Well, sometimes you have a party that does the opposite and they call good evil and mm -hmm. evil good. They've got it flip-flopped. And when that happens, Boy, it makes it awful hard to justify as a Christian yeah. voting for that. Yeah. And you said something there where he, MacArthur said we were in a Romans one or one of the parties represents a Romans one type of government. But I, I mean, I think we're in a Romans one society. Oh, yeah. That makes it even harder to juggle all of this because we have a whole society of calling evil good and good evil. And you know, there's such so little options when, as a Christian when you come to a voting booth. Yep. You know, and it's it's a difficult thing to do. Of course, we have the governor's race in Kentucky this time, and you know, it's like an easier decision in that. And some clear lines have been drawn, and we've experienced the Democratic governor for four years through lockdowns and stuff. And yeah, that seems like some unnecessary actions, but but nonetheless. Yeah, I think you gave some good wisdom there uh, from the Bible on how to do that and how to try to navigate strange waters, I guess you could say. Yeah, and politicians and you know, leading up to elections, they're going to say so much stuff and you're going to see so many commercials and things that you're just going to be overwhelmed with all this information. But just try to narrow it down to which candidate is going to best promote good in the biblical sense and... Uh, try to thwart evil and hold those things back. And the one that does that is the one that is best lining up with the biblical definition of what government should be. Yeah. Are you super political? Like, do I like politics and things? Is that? Yeah. Do you like get into it? Um, I always, well, he, here's what happened. Several years ago, um, I was a courier for a bank part-time. Uh -huh. um, I was a pastor and I was a part-time courier. So I would drive around all day in a vehicle from bank to bank. Okay. And, and it was right during the time Rush Limbaugh was on the radio. So I got to listen to his pr whole program mm, okay. uh, like for three hours. And, yeah. and during, the, during that, <laughs> I, I, I really, really got into it and started thinking about some things I'd never thought of before. Yeah. So since then, I have always had some some strong opinions about things and I've always liked it. Here lately, I've been a little bit more burnt out with it. And I, it's hard for me to turn on like Fox News gotcha. and yeah. CNN and things too much because it's just a lot of a lot of fluff anymore. Yeah. But I've, I, I do like talking about it. Yeah, I've never really been. I'm, I mean, I just not. I got some people in my life that are and they kind of they can exhaust me with it sometimes. Yeah, no one that lives in my home, but just outside of my <laughs> friends and things. So I'm I'm not super political. I mean, I know what's going on, but yeah, is that why you never had me over for Thanksgiving? Well, no, because political, you, political you, conversations. Because you're thankful every day. You don't need a Thanksgiving. 
That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right. Let's let's move on to our next topic. We uh, played football together, and it's coming to the end of high school football season. The playoffs started this last week. It's getting that good chill in the air that comes at this time of the season. Yep. Pro and college get really good right now. We just wanted to talk about some of our funny football memories, kind of think about those things. First thing that pops in my head, of course, our junior year, we went late into the playoffs. So we were playing in after Thanksgiving, right? Yes. Yeah, we did. I'll never forget you linemen. And I think you were the head, you were the head, you were the head honcho in this little ordeal. Do you remember it was, I think, a Thursday practice and it was frigid code, cold. <laughs> and you remember what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. You linemen all huddled up together. Yes. During practice and coach coach got pretty mad at you all about that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, should, should have been a little tougher there. That, but, but man, it was like cold and sleeting. And yeah, it was really cold. Like it was like two degrees out there. <laughs> i never forget. We'll turn it around yeah. seeing you all huddled together and. He got angry with you all on that. And we, we lost the game. Yeah. Yeah, we did lose the sure, game. <laughs> surely I was not the head honcho with that. I think you were. Sure, surely I not. He, I think he said Douglas. <laughs> Maybe I was just the one that was responsible for the rest of them. Okay. okay. He, he would go to me. I don't know. Okay. But, you know, we made friends, a lot of friends in football. Scott, yeah. that's kind of how we got hooked up with Scott, wasn't it? Through, through football or yeah. where we hooked yeah. up with Scott and then Scott played football. Well, it, it happens close to the same time, but where he, he, he quickly jumped into football with us. So, okay. And of course, KP, the, well, the one that is he, unmentioned. Yeah. The, uh, here's the story I have about KP. I, I don't think I've ever told you, but about the way that I met him. Well, I, know, I, was, I, I know the way I met him. Well, here's, here's how I met him. I, I think I was eight years old, eight, eight or nine. And I was on the Steelers. He was on the Redskins. Yeah. Which, which you can't say Redskins anymore, <laughs> but that's who he played for. And we lined up across from each other. He, you know, as, as linemen mm-hmm. and fired off the ball. It seems like I was on defense. He was on offense and he was blocking me. Well, our face masks locked. <laughs> and so, so I we were like walking around. Yeah. <laughs> And so we kind of got acquainted there while our face masks are locked up and we kind of got to know each other and I think have been friends ever since. Well, that's, that's an interesting way to meet. I don't, I don't know if I've ever refreshed him with that story before I'll have to have to do that. KP, if you're listening, tell me if you remember that. Yeah. That's, that's a good memory right there. Going way back for that. Of course we do have the, do what? Oh, I was just going to ask, how did you meet him? You you were kind of alluding to, to something there. He was the center and I was the quarterback, and that's how we met. Oh, so so you didn't really know him until no, I had to. Oh, okay. Take take some snaps from him. So, well, yeah, that's uh, you got to get acquainted with the guy <laughs> real fast if you're yeah, center sure quarterback exchange there. Sure do, sure do. I we of course we've told the story in Little League when you violently struck me in the head with a the elephant hit. Yeah, and that's one of my least favorite memories of football and what uh, <laughs> one of my favorites <laughs> favorites oh man did did coach i can't remember I, i'm trying to remember if it was you or my brother so our conditioning exercises through the season were something called gassers 
<laughs> and <laughs> we would run, so we'll see, 50, 50, 50, 50, 200. So it was a 200-yard run, right? Yeah. Because we is would go across the Is field. it 50 yards across the field? It's like 51. Okay. So we would go across the field and back, cross the field and back, and that was one. All right. Cruel that you would have to run two, and it was counted as one. Yeah. Did you get sick during those? <laughs> well, going going into my senior season, my sophomore and junior season, I was in pretty good shape, decent. Mm-hmm. I mean, for my size and stuff. Senior season, I, I was I was almost over it, and I wasn't in in as good a shape as I should have been. First uh-huh. day of school, I still remember lunch that day. <laughs> It was cheeseburger day at school, and so I got a cheeseburger and yeah. cheeseburger, lettuce, tomato, and you know, I, I guess fries, yeah, the whole nine yards. And so that started setting a little bit heavy on my stomach during practice. And it's August; it's still hot. Yeah, and uh, so so I start throwing up in practice. <laughs> and do, do you remember what he said to me? Puke it up, Doug. Puke it up, Doug. Puke it up, Douglas. <laughs> I'm over there dying, like like on all fours, throwing up, and no sympathy at all. Just puke it up and and get back up. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> puke it up, Douglas. That, I think, that's a, I think that's a of point. that. I think of that once a month for some reason. That just puke it up, Douglas. <laughs> that, that that was my downfall right there. Puke it up, Douglas. <laughs> puke it up, Douglas. That was never recovered from that. Oh, you didn't. Oh gosh. <laughs> That hurt my jaws. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> oh man. But yeah. you know, it was football was hard, but you know, the memories are like, you know, the going, I, th- I think you took me to practice, you know, every game or every year. Probably did. Senior, I rode with you in the back of the yeah, Ford yeah, Ranger. Yeah. Me and Scott would fight of who would sit up front in the Ford Ranger. And the other one had to sit in the little mini seat in the back. Yep. There's a little sideways seat. It, it was. It was. Yeah, you had to turn sideways. Yeah. And then you got the Mustang and we were cool then. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. But yeah, we made good friends, good memories, bad some bad memories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It it was uh the the majority of my memories from high school, I guess, or I mean they revolve around football. Yeah, and I mean most of it was our, you know, every time we would go eat, it was with guys from the football team generally. Yeah, our friends were from the football team, so a lot of those things were wrapped up in that. I guess you could yeah. say. So good times, though. Um, yeah, it was. Let's finish up here. Get on our last topic. I kind of pulled this one out of a hat, rabbit out of the hat, on us today. But I wanted to talk about Paul in First Thessalonians chapter number four, verse eleven. Let me get it pulled up here. Uh, talks about aspiring to a simple life. Let me read you the verse here. He says this, And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, verse 12, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So Paul's talking about here, aspiring to live a certain way. He says, a quiet, live quietly, minding your own affairs. He says, working with your hands 
the reason for doing this. So you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. I think that's something we should think about and something that we should work through a little bit tonight as we're, we're closing up aspiring to a simple life. And I think you can kind of just sum it up with that kind of statement. I think the first thing we need to talk about is life in a fallen world is not necessarily a simple life. We can very much busy ourselves with all kinds of things. And maybe even you could say fruitless things. Yeah, uh, you you sure can. And you could get into a lot of things that can take your time and energy that really in the end don't amount to much of anything. So, So part of being a Christian and walking the way that the Lord has commanded us to do is to be purposeful in how we live and and not just not just be running from one thing to to another and and accomplishing nothing along the way right and i want to talk about this in different categories i think that's probably the best way we should think about it so i want to talk about this within our family living a simple life within our family i want to talk about this in our vocation because i mean me and your pastors, but not everybody's a pastor. You know, we also have jobs and do other things. So in our vocation. And I also want to talk about this in the life of the church, living a life of simplicity in the life of the church. Because I think in all three of those areas, we can <laughs> overwhelm ourselves with busyness and really miss the mark of what we're supposed to be doing because we become so busy with everything else. Yep. So let's, uh, let's jump on board. And here's the secret. I didn't tell Eric about these three categories before we started. So he's coming in blind. So I'll just keep it simple as I talk about it. Hey, listen to that. (laughs) I hope, I hope you're, hope you're thankful along the way. Uh, I'm thankful every day. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about family, Eric, first living a simple life with our families, amongst our families, as, as men, even being leaders in that life of simplicity with our relationships within our families. I think the biggest, and, you know, I think the biggest hindrance we have with this is sports. I think it's sports, especially if you have kids, just the running and everything that goes along with that. I mean, we just had this year, just Ellie playing tennis. And it was almost more than we wanted, just doing one sport of tennis. It seemed like we were running all over the place. And even last year with Elijah doing soccer his senior year, of course, we put a little more into it because it was his final year that we were we were running all the time, you know, falling around soccer teams. Yeah. And and we just did high school. We did we don't do any extra anything like that. We just do high school. We do one season. We don't do multiple seasons. We just do one season a year. I don't know how some people do it. Yeah, it's a, you know, we were, I coached soccer, like little league, recreation league for several years, and Mm -hmm. they would have fall soccer and then spring soccer. And, and we would do both, both of those. And so that, that kept us busy. And then, 
kids would sometimes do basketball in, in between and things like that. So, so we stayed pretty busy ourselves with that. But we, even now, where we're past that part, mm-hmm. as a, a family, we have a lot of good, a lot of good memories, like together in, in yeah. that. Just not even always the games, but maybe like you know, run into Wendy's or something yeah. before before you go home, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a thing where you you do have to have you do have to have some some balance. And that's something like me, when I, when I go into something, a lot of times, just the way my mind works, if I'm doing something or doing something new, mm-hmm. I have to learn as much about it as I can. I have to spend time reading books and w- watching YouTube videos and things like that, learning about it. So I, I kind of invest myself a lot mm-hmm. into, into what I do. So that's a, that's a caution that, that I have to take with, with a lot of things is not not overdoing it because uh, i'm kind of wired to go that way yeah i am too i'm an I, I like to think of myself as an impulsive hobbyist so if i find something that i like to do i'm like all in really quick yeah and I, i've had to learn as i get a little older to you know pull pull those reins a little bit as i jump into stuff not to you know, buy every new thing and, you know, just be all in all the time. And it, I think it is fine and balanced. I think that's a very important thing. Even when we think about this very topic of aspiring to a simple life, I think a lot of that is finding the balance in all of those things. And I want to talk more about that balance when we come down to the life of the church, doing this in church, because I think a lot of the problem is we become imbalanced in those areas and that causes a lot of heartache and you know, we, we either burn out or we don't burn at all. But anyway, we'll talk about that in a moment. But so so there is even a way, and I, I think you you hit the nail on the head there. There's a way to be an active family and still pursue aspire to simplicity. Like it's very possible. And I think it's actually the healthier way to do it because the last thing I want anyone to think we're talking about here is you need to go live on the Mennonite farm. And, you know, churn your own butter every day. That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> that's that, that's not aspiring to simplicity, but it's making sure that your time together is quality time together. Yeah, uh, that's that needs to be what it is. And you know, just the old adage, quality over over quantity. And we. Yeah, we as a family have always been been a close family. We've we've homeschooled the kids the majority of their education, not not the entirety of it, but the majority of it. So we've got to spend a lot of time with the kids like that, being being their teachers. I've it's it's funny how things have worked out a lot of times because I've ended up being. You know, I, I don't trust other people to do stuff sometimes. So I've ended up being my kid's teacher. I'm their pastor. I've been their their soccer coach. You know, all, all these these different things. But I've always wanted to to be there for them and and do that. But you know, we have now like with our, our son. You know, he has some special needs and things like that, and that that affects a lot of what we can do and what what we're able to do 
but we still strive to be supportive of, of each other in that and not go overboard, but do the things we need to do as, as, as a family. That's not always easy to do, but that's, that's what you got to strive to do. Right. And I think the important thing with family mainly is keeping the main thing, the main thing. Right. And it's, you know, that, that quality time, but it's also a, a, a foundation that is Christ and that, you know, that's, that's what we're building on and building off of. And to be sure that the foundation we're building is not something that is fleeting, I guess you could say, you know, just example, if Elijah was fair at soccer, he made the all region team tournament, all region team. But if we had put all of our hopes and dreams in Elijah's high school soccer career, we would have been sadly disappointed when it was over because he didn't play anymore after that, which is fine. But we have, that's why I'm saying we have the simplicity of the family is keeping the main thing, the main thing, and that's Christ and building on that, whatever that ends up looking like. Yeah. Good. Good point there. What about vocation? Uh, we let the, I let the cat out of the bag a little bit that I'm impulsive hobbyist. <laughs> um, well, no, yeah. I think Good. that we can busy ourselves too much. The, the dollar sign is one of the greatest tempters there is. Yeah, I have. I've burnt the candle at both ends a lot of times th- throughout the years, and it's it's kind of caught up with me in in a lot of ways. And I've backed off some of that now, and I'm I'm already seeing some some benefits from doing that. But there there was a time. Well, I I think about when I went back to school at one point, I was working, teaching in school. I was was being a a pastor. I was going to graduate school. I was coaching like soccer, like I was doing stuff all the time. And you, you just can't do that for very long. Yeah. The way that I've always attempted to kind of approach that and sometimes I've done well with it. And sometimes I've not is, is just have, have that distinction between, I, I don't know if I want to say compartmentalize different things, but, but work is, is work and, and not let that spill over into family much. And, and the reason I, I kind of say that, and as a pastor, one thing I remember from a, a pastor I had as a kid is, when it got time for him to retire, he was at the end of his pastorate. He voiced that one of the regrets he had is that he spent more time with other people's kids than he did his own because he was the kind of pastor that was always trying to be in somebody's home, d- doing things like that. And then so when I became a pastor, I was thinking, I- I'm not going to have that regret. I- I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what I need to do, but I'm going to have some boundaries and some lines with with work. And so I, I've I've tried to do that. I've tried to have that balance with that. Yeah, and even in First Timothy three, when Paul talks about the qualifications of eldership of pastorate, it is that he can pastor his own home because he can't pastor his home. How can he pastor the household of God? And so 
yeah, I think you're exactly right on that. That and, and we have a very unique perspective on this, maybe a little different than most people because we are bivocational pastors. <laughs> that that that's our vocation. That's one of our vocations. It's a calling, and, and we could talk about more of that at a different time. But then also we have these other things we have to do as well to continue to bring in income so that we can our families can be we can support our families in that way. So there is a lot of burning the candle on both ends. But we kind of got to know the limit of that, I guess you could say, where yeah. where's where's too far on that. But what about what about the guy sitting in the pew, Eric? He's sitting in the pew every Sunday. He's, you know, uh, he comes to church, but he works his tail off all the time. Yeah, he doesn't necessarily have to. Right. You know what I mean? But but he likes the new boat in the driveway. Yeah. Or or the new truck or something like that. How do you how how do we need to speak to that person? I think that where's our treasure is kind of the question we always have to ask ourselves. Yeah. And what do we treasure? I saw a quote the other day, and, and I'm I'm really good at almost remembering quotes. Yeah, me too. Um, but, but yeah, it was just a couple of days ago I saw this about how we need to guard. Basically, we need to guard ourselves against overworking as much as we do laziness. Yeah, because the the temptation a lot of times is is to overwork and put more on on yourself than than you need to because of the lifestyle you want to live thing and things like that. Dave Ramsey said the financial guru guy, he he talked about how he's seen people with over a hundred thousand dollar income that they're not able to save any money. But on the other hand, he's seen people that live on $30,000 a year and they can save money. And it's just because of, of the priorities, the things that they want and have to have. Yeah. If you if you're someone that has to have a certain level of living, then you're going to kill yourself to to attain that. And and for what? Right. A, a lot of times. So it, there is a real danger as as a Christian. We need to be hard workers, but we're not called to. To overwork, if if that makes sense. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, one of the most enlightening things that I read, I think it was C.J. Mahaney, Mahaney's book on humility. He A whole chapter on sleep. The importance of sleep and how sleep is so honoring to God because we're acknowledging that we can't stay up all the time and work all the time, that we need him to care for us in our sleep to provide rest to give us energy to you know help us recuperate everything that we've lost throughout the day and that was just really enlightening to me as someone that that worked a lot of hours doing construction and traveled and did all those things and even myself having to take a moment reprioritize and say okay i'm not spending enough time at home with my kids and my family and leading them in the way that i need to yeah so all right we got uh about 10 minutes left let's let's shift gears and move to the church and i think we need to talk about this in two ways first let's talk to members of the church people in the pews and then in our last little bit let's talk to pastors okay so first to the to people in the pews 
how can you aspire to simplicity in the life of the church? I think church can be cluttered with a lot of things just to busy us and maybe even provide the temptation for self-righteousness. Yeah. So how do we combat that? I would say maybe uh, maybe a decade ago. I can't remember. I, I read a book by Tom Rainer called Simple Church. Mm-hmm. And and it really changed the way that that I view church. It, it might have been longer than, than that, but I kind of grew up thinking. And when I first went into ministry, still thinking, and, and I don't know if I'd have put it in these terms, but this is what I thought. I thought that busyness in the church equated to doing what you're supposed to do as a church, meaning the more things you have on the church calendar. The, the healthier your church is. So you have church on Sunday, you have Sunday school at whatever time you have worship service, maybe in Sunday afternoon, you go to a meal with some, some members and so you, you have Sunday night church and Monday night you have visitation. And then Tuesday night you have the, the church league softball or whatever, Wednesday, Wednesday's church. <laughs> Thursday is ministering down at the nursing home. You know, I mean, something every day of the week and just trying to keep people busy, having all these activities for people. And the premise of that book was that that's just not how it is at all. It keep the main thing, the main thing, focus on what a church should do and then let people go, go live their lives. And, and hopefully as they go out, they'll, they'll minister on, on their own and just throughout the, their lives and invite people to church and share the gospel and, and all these things. And so I, I kind of, I made it a priority to not be a pastor that packs so much onto the schedule. I, like I, I've always, I mean, for many, for several years now, tried to keep that a, a priority to not busy people to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think one thing that happens is when you do busy people to death, it devalues what you're doing on Sunday morning when you worship. If you got, as you said, church softball on Tuesday nights, you know, <laughs> or church pickleball, you know, your church pickleball, it's devalue. You know, if you have something every night, it's just another day. We're at church just another day. And it, you lose the awesomeness of that moment when we're gathering to worship God together. Yep. But yeah, we we have to be balanced in that. I think coming back to that word used earlier, balanced in our life of the church where we need to be involved. We need to be doing ministry, but our ministry really should flow out of life more so than our involvement with local church. One of the things that I've tried to emphasize in my, my time at Cedar Point is you know, your ministry is not so much tied into this church, but it is that you're going out from here and then you're doing ministry with your life. I don't need you to come back to me and say, hey, can I do this ministry at my job or can I do this or can I do that? That's not that's, that's not my place. It's that you, you're doing that because that's what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And one way I, I, th- I think I got this from Tom Rainer, it seems like from that book, he simplified things and kind of looked at it like this. We'll focus on just, for example, one hour of worship a week as, as a church body, one hour of some sort of Bible study, and then one hour of ministry. So if you look at it like that, you know, make that a priority to come together with your church every week and that corporate worship, do that. 
be involved in some sort of Bible study. I tell our people here, you don't have to come to every Bible study we have, but, but come to one. Right. You know, if you have Sunday school in the morning, then you have Bible study Sunday night, then you have men's study on on Tuesday or whatever, and all these different options, life groups, whatever mm-hmm. churches do. Uh, you don't have to do every one of those, but make sure you're digging into study sometime in the week. And so I, I've kind of used that as a as a parameters how to approach things. Worship, study with us, and and be active at least an hour a, a week. And that's yeah. that's putting it in a very simple way. Yeah, it is. And, you know, nothing makes me happier as a pastor is when someone comes and tells me of a ministry they're doing or a Bible study they've started that I know nothing about, that I've not had a hand in getting going. That's just it makes me feel really good as a pastor that, you know, people are taking initiative and doing those kind of things. But uh, we certainly can busy ourselves at church and and get out of living the simple life there, aspiring to simplicity. And just and I, I do believe a lot of that is rooted in the desire to be self-righteous, to to look at all this I'm doing and to make ourselves feel better about something. But again, we come back to grounding ourselves in the main thing, and that is Christ, the foundation of the gospel. All right, let's uh, take this last few minutes. Let's talk to pastors. Pastor burnout is something that's real, I believe. It's something that that happens. You you get in there and you're in the trench and you go and you go and you go and you go. And if we're honest, there's a lot of things that we throw on ourselves that are probably not necessary. And those things often cause that, that burnout. How can we fight that? It's hard to fight that. Um, I know I've, I've been there and I've been through seasons of, of burnout myself. And a lot of it's rooted in trying to, trying to do what for the church what only Christ can do for the church, kind of trying to take that upon upon yourself of wanting to see results in in certain ways. And if if you don't see it, you you get burdened and and weighed down. I mean, really we're as pastors, we're called to be messengers where you've got to love the flock, teach them, care for them. We don't, don't really have a, an exhaustive job description. It's a simple thing that, that we're, to do so so a lot of that is putting more expectation on yourself than than what christ puts on you is i think the root of a lot of it yeah the the best thing that i ever did was not something i sought out to do on purpose but i was doing a study on wednesday nights maybe through the parables of jesus and i think james montgomery boyce i think it was his just did a commentary on the parables and I was reading through that as I was doing that study and the parable of the sower. And he just talked about, you know, the sower throwing the seed. And that's all he really did. He just threw the seed out there and the results weren't up to him. The getting the ground ready really wasn't up to him. The only thing that he literally did was take seeds and he threw them out there. And that just opened my eyes so much to pastoral ministry is that that's ultimately what we're doing now sure we, there's some other things we've got to do but they're they're very minute in the scheme of throwing the seed of the word of god out and letting the word of god do its work and i, I tell my people a lot if it was up to me to garner results you're not going to have a pastor very long because i'm going to go insane i'm going to go insane beating my head against the wall trying to figure out where i went wrong 
but it is it is God just just putting God's word out there and letting God take care of the increase. And I think that's getting back to the most simplest form of pastoring that we can do. Yeah. And, and we got to understand as pastors too, it's going to, if you, if you're in it any length of time at all, it's going to be hard and you're going to have hard seasons. Oh yeah. (laughs) I I remember years ago, I, I had shared a, like a funny thing, a, a meme, I think is what the kids call it. Meme or a meme. Meme. <laughs> it was some older guy that was, it says something like, uh, who says pastoral ministry is, is tough. I'm, I'm 35 and I feel great. And the guy was like, it looked like he was 80 or something. And he shared it just as a joke. And I, I'd have other people that, you know, some one in particular that, maybe not hadn't done it very long like oh you just got to trust god through it and then you won't ever be like that and well after he was in it for a, a little while he, he ran into a wall and did, did the same same thing so yeah if you're if you're in it any length of time it, it's going to be hard and and stressful you got to keep reminding yourself of what you just told us but that man that that is that's hard to do you got to mm-hmm. always kind of recalibrate your thinking because we want to default to that, hey, I've got to do something, and uh, so that's something you're always going to be fighting against. Is is that? But but you're right. We have to be reminded of that. Be reminded of what Christ has done for us and for the church. Yeah, and that temptation is crazy, and I feel it. I mean, almost every week, you know, after I get done preaching, or you know, the day after the 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 Monday blues, as I call them here at the house, it's just you. You take that moment, you re you think everything that happened, every person that wasn't there, every, you know, every, everything. And you think, okay, how, what do I need to change? What do I need to do different? What do, should I, should I get out of this and preach this? And, you know, you question every single thing that you have done and said and are doing and think, okay, well, I need to do it better. And then that viciousness of the cycle is you start to look at everybody else and see what they do. Yeah, and like I need to be like that, or I need to do that, or I need to do this, and it's just—it's a tough gig. It, it is a tough gig. It really is. But I think all the more uh, pastors, we need to—we just need to cling to Christ. Uh, that's what we need to do. We need to just understand that this thing is not a performance-based thing, but it's just that we're relying on the grace of God in every moment of it, and that our faithfulness to do that, he will be well pleased with it. I, I think what you said there is, I, I think that's part of it. It's not a performance-based thing, but a lot of people look at it as it is, and you know that people look at it like that. Like, So it's kind of hard keeping the balance of what these expectations are that you think are there versus what Christ has has actually given us. And it's, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's not based on our performance at all. It's based on the performance of Christ. Thanks for listening to the Halfway There Cast, a production of Halfway There Ministries. Visit our website, halfwaytheirministries.org, where you will find resources to help you follow Christ on your way home, as well as information about how to find us on social media and read our blog. We are serving Christ on our way home and trying to help others on their way. We are halfway there.
Whoa, living on a prayer. <laughs> <laughs>